0: Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom super mint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable, plant-based sugar cane, and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are Beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website before.com and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-10, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of this show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit Otohealing.com to book yours now. Commercial and documentary filmmaker Marco Roth has the soul of a storyteller. There's a depth of heart he brings to every conversation, and that depth shows itself in his canon of work. His short film, Mass 19, a devastating story reflecting the increase in domestic abuse cases during the pandemic, was shortlisted at YDA Cannes Lions and won the Best International Short at the Sedona International Film Festival. He's also one-third of Experimental Music Group Touring, which will be doing its first audiovisual art installation at a major museum in Munich this coming summer. Born and raised in the suburbs of Frankfurt, where he still is today, Marco was a quiet and shy child who had many passions, all the sports, diving, and James Bond movies. His father was an engineer who frequently traveled, and his mother was a pharmacist. They met at 15 years old and are still married to this day. Preparing him and his brother for the world was something his father took seriously, and instilling an entrepreneurial sense in them was what his mother taught them young. He first discovered filmmaking at 16 years old while on a high school exchange in Montreal. Buying his first camera once back in Germany, he began freelancing for a local radio station and the nightlife scene, before taking on an internship at a commercial film company in Hamburg, where he learned the technical while working on projects with Google, NGOs, and more. Freelance, though, called him back, In his early 20s, he was hired by a German travel agency to document his adventures around the world, from South Africa and Nepal to Greece and Morocco. Marco is now in the next phase of his creative path, with both his filmmaking and his foray into music with touring. In this conversation, we explore growing up with career-driven parents, the different expressions of love in a family, how to stay humane in the commercial filmmaking industry, his creative process, and blending the commercial and documentary worlds in his film style, the three years he spent traveling the world and what he learned for himself, how his new project touring blends music and storytelling, advice for budding film directors, what he's most proud of about his own journey, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with the gentle and kind, conscious, and remarkably thoughtful Marco Roth. Marco Roth, welcome to The Craft.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited. excited. It's my <laughs> very first podcast. So yes. I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> are you nervous?
0: Don't be. It's two friends chatting, which uh, sort of takes sure. me to how we connected, which is through Instagram. You reached out to me from yeah. Germany and yeah, you sort of just introduced yourself and the work that you do. And we had a nice conversation on video and here you are. You're my first international podcast guest. So this is very exciting nice. for
1: me. I feel honored. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So I thought, oh, why not reaching out and just telling you that I'm a big fan and yeah. No, I'm very honored to be on it.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, let's uh well, first of all, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Other than nervous, how has your day been? Because I know it's seven PM <laughs> yeah. over there in, in Frankfurt, right?
1: Yeah, it's the end of the day. It's um no I'm feeling quite good. I just did a 20 minutes meditation to come down and to (laughs) um, have some headspace for this conversation with you now. So I'm good. Great. I'm I'm very happy.
0: Well, I'd love to, you and I spoke yesterday, but would love to go back to growing up and you were Frankfurt born and raised. And I'd love to know more about what it was like what it was like growing up in in Germany, and what your family's like, and what you were like?
1: <laughs> That's a very good question. I think it's it's so weird to to reflect on your childhood since you only have so few memories. So it's never really the hundred. It's never really the whole story. Um, but the memories I have from from my childhood were that I grew up in a very protected and um, happy kind of family life I have an older brother who's also now one of my best friends he's just one year older so we're very close I had um, a dog I had two parents Um, we were living a little bit outside of Frankfurt in the suburbs so um, quite protected and living in a in a bubble I would say um i would say now back then i didn't realize that um but yeah i think it's 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 very how do i put this sorry if i sometimes need to look for english words it's the end of the day for me so my brain is a bit tired um I think I got all the opportunities from my parents, from my environment, um which I needed and which I wanted to try. I was this I was this kid who who did so many different sports, so many different hobbies. Um and I think I was a big pain for my parents since I tried something and then half a year later I skipped it and I wanted to do something new. So they always needed to buy me like sports equipment or whatever and then half year later they were like oh now there's a new thing <laughs> <laughs> um and i had a very i had a very big james bond obsession back in my childhood i, I kind of grew up with james bond being my hero or, or the films being my hero so i chose my actually chose my hobbies after the thought that I want to be become a James Bond later in life, so I <laughs> wanted to be prepared. <laughs> so I did karate, I did um, my diving license, I did um, actually sport shooting with um, with guns, um, I did all the licenses for like motorboats and, and stuff like that. So... So I am really um, prepared to become a James Bond, <laughs> but later when I was growing up, I kind of realized ah, I think acting is not really my thing. So, so that's maybe also why I went into filmmaking, um, because I was so obsessed. So the dream shifted from being James Bond to, to maybe at some point directing a James Bond movie.
0: Mm. Tell me about your parents. Tell me about your dad, tell me about your mom. I know your mom was a pharmacist and your dad was an engineer.
1: Yeah, right. So my mom, she is a pharmacist, but she became, she opened up her own company when we were born. So she was always quite hardworking. And back in the days, it was in the 90s, it was still something special for a woman, especially a woman who just gave birth to two boys to commit herself to open her own company and to break the kind of um, roles or unwritten rules of that time to not um, take care of their kids like all day. So my parents hired um, a nanny quite early to take care of us um, because both of my parents didn't want to sacrifice on on their career my dad was a engineer he was quite often traveling for work and as i said my mom opened up her own company starting in the garage of my grandparents and then growing from there um and i i remember that for me that was always normal since i grew up like that but talking about it now or talking about it in the years later um I just realized how big of a thing that was, and also how my mom had to argue with our grandparents who were more traditional, more old school, that um, that's something she really wanted to do. And yeah, so I grew up with parents who su- who supported um, my own ideas. And I think I grew up with in an environment where where from very early stage got to know that you can create your own ideas you can create your own um company um if you have something which you want to do just just follow it and don't um feel intimidated by by the rules of society or by what other people are normally doing so maybe i think from my mom i got that kind of um entrepreneurial (laughs) Uh, sense. I mean, I've I've never been with a company. I've always been freelance. I've always worked for myself, basically, and my brother is the same. So I think we got both of us got that from from my mom. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my parents, it's it's um, they've definitely formed me I think like every parents do form their kids and that's just what I just said I think that's just how they formed me from a career point of view but from a personal point of view um especially about the topic of love and relationship my parents they they have this very unique story of meeting themselves or got getting to know themselves with 15 and since then they they were a couple and there was um, apparently there was nobody else. <laughs> uh, so, so that's something which also had a very big impact on me, especially in my teenager years growing up with that kind of dream idea of, okay, if you find this one person, you, you're you going to stick together for your whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's romanticized and I think in a way. Idea, yeah, it's very romanticized. That's true. And that idea kind of crashed quite quite soon for me. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely something which um, which influenced me in my teenager years and which I'm still kind of working with right now, this this whole definition of what it means to be in a relationship. what what does love mean, right? So um, I'm still kind of working with those old, definitions i kind of got from my childhood and from my parents
0: mm. i resonate with with so much of of what you said you know my my mom was a really hard-working entrepreneur as well she owned three gas stations in in the city that i i grew up in and so she was always working oh, wow. and um, you know my stepfather at the time he was he sort of was kind of doing his his own thing and um We had nannies, too, for for a while, and we had a a few, Christina first and then Annie, and yeah, just having that other presence in your life that's sort of raising you because your parent is is off working, and, you know, it's sort of this interesting um, kind of, it's an interesting thing to reflect on because you know the reason why you're your parent is, is working hard and, um, you know, being independent and and trying to provide for you yet you're sort of being raised by this, um, third party. And, you know, there's kind of a beauty beauty in that too, but there's also sort of like a longing of, Oh, I wish, you know, I could spend more time with my parent.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for us, it was, we were super lucky with our nanny. We always called her a second grandma. So, um, she's family now so but yeah i totally agree i think now reflecting over this time period there were definitely times where i think i was missing some time with my dad or some time with my mom or i was wishing to um to do homework with one of them and and not with with a nanny Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i i know that you were saying to me yesterday that your dad um, was the one that really instilled the, the practical knowledge and, and know-how so that you could be ready for the world.
1: Yeah, he did. He definitely did. And I think that's that's the way how he expresses his love. Um, and it, it still is. And um, I'm working quite a lot on the relationship to my parents and especially to my dad. And um, I'm just realizing that it's so much harder for him to kind of express his emotions with words and he's he's used to expressing his love or his care through through other things for example nowadays um it's it's very funny i have this kind of dictionary i I could start a dictionary of of stuff he says and stuff he really means Mm. so for example if if i'm visiting my parents and um I'm saying goodbye, um, then he always says, ah, I'm going to go out with you and going to make sure you um, drive safe from, this, um, from the carport to the street, mm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, it's a very calm road, but if you want, you can of course do that, and I think that's, <laughs> that's his way of saying thanks for coming over, take care of yourself, I will miss you. Mm. And then sometimes there are other things. They're always connected to cars, weirdly. Um, where where he has his he has his way of expressing emotions, but through different things. And I think it took me a while to to understand that. And there were some years where I wanted to challenge him and actually wanted him to to use words like "Hey, um, I love you," "I miss you," "Thanks for coming over." But I think now I just realized. It's, it's fine. I think I, I wanted to feel comfortable for myself using those words, especially with my parents, but also with other people I love. But for my parents, I think I, I kind of am totally fine now. I don't want or don't need to change them. I, I, I understand their way of expressing emotions now. And and that's for me right now, that's that's totally fine.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. yeah just understanding the languages of of love of other people in your life and that they may not necessarily be the same as yours or you know the ones that you you hope for but in understanding that you can start to yeah see the love and care
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think understanding the the language of love of of the older generation i don't know how it is with you and, and your parents but i feel like there's always a big difference between two generations.
0: I agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my, um, I, I feel like the generation above showed their love by working hard and being able to provide for us, so that we could have better futures. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it was in words of affirmation, but it was definitely in acts of service. So, yeah, I agree that the generation right. above is is a little bit a little bit different. And um, yeah, there's a lot of reparenting to to be done around that for, I think, lots of us,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> and so, I'd love to know more about, so I remember you saying that you were quite shy and quiet for uh, a time in your life when you were you were younger. and i'm um, I'm interested to know, you know, with that kind of being quiet, how much you observed of the world because you were quiet, and if you feel that that lent to your career now in filmmaking. Because you also did tell me that you feel like you're very intuitive and that you can read people, which makes you a talented filmmaker.
1: Oh, I've never thought about that connection before. That's super interesting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was definitely a very shy kid until i was 15 14 15 since i had an older brother i was always kind of in his shadow um he was he was the guy talking (laughs) and i was the guy behind him listening so i've never thought about it if i if i did learn to observe more during that time that's a very good question but could be but to be honest when when i was coming out of that shy phase with 15 16 i directly was looking for something to express my emotions and, and maybe that's that's why i chose filmmaking for first for my hobby and then for my career because filmmaking was this kind of media for me to express my emotions without needing to speak them out loud myself um, so like I said my, my father was not that kind of guy who who teach me how to express emotions when my mom also she didn't really teach me how to express emotions so I think the reason why I went into filmmaking and that's something I kind of realized in the last year is that it, it was an outlet for me for, for my emotions and I I realized it during client projects that sometimes I was so attached and I was so I was so personal and I was it was just a, a client's commercial but still I, I, I've put so much heart and so much of my personal story in there that every time there was feedback I was very pissed when something was not to my liking. So then I realized oh okay I think there's definitely more attached to it. And um, yeah, I think that's that's my, was for a long time, that was a, my way of expressing my emotions and letting, letting all that stuff out.
0: Mm. And would you say now that you are a more expressive person? I mean, obviously through your work and through your film, but do you find yourself um, more easily being able to express with words now? Or I know it's a, a work in progress, but yeah, I'd love to know how much you feel you've evolved in that. In that sense,
1: yeah, I think I I will say I definitely got better. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's uh, like you said, it's a never ending story and I <laughs> yeah. keep working on it. But three or four years ago, I think that was the time where I realized, OK, I really have to find another way because it's so unhealthy to not be able to express emotions just with language or with action or with, with touch or, or whatever. Uh, So I think three years ago I started psychotherapy and that was definitely the start for me to dig deeper into my childhood, to learn how to express my feelings and to learn to let them out um, and to not keep them inside me. So yeah, I think that's, that's something which which i started with 25 24 25 i'm I'm 28 now so the last three three years were were i think uh the the start of that journey
0: Mm. and you've had a lot of journeys so when you were 15 or 16 you actually moved away from home and you moved to canada on was it an exchange that you did a school exchange
1: yeah, it was like a year abroad in in Montreal. I went to John Abbott College actually in in Montreal, and at, at that time it was a thing. The eleventh grade in Germany, you you could, if you want, you could go somewhere else to to learn the language and obviously to to learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's what I did. Yeah, I, I spent one year in Montreal when I was fifteen.
0: And why did you choose Montreal?
1: Again, my brother did the same thing one year before and he chose Montreal he chose John Abbott College so I was still in that phase okay my brother did it so I will follow I will do the same Uh, that's why I kind of choose or not choose I just followed um, just went into the footsteps of my brother but it was the most amazing time and for me that was definitely the time where I finally got out of the shadow of my brother and found my my character and started to develop my character and started to speak out to persons and people and not hiding behind someone else. So that was a very happy, important phase of my life.
0: And it's also when you found filmmaking, like truly found it. Right,
1: yeah. In in the college they had a class called filmmaking. So I just just took it and it was basically the beginning of of me learning filmmaking. Um, back then we had those small DSLR cameras, the Canon 5D, and it was like a revolution back then because it could also film. It was originally a photo camera. And with that camera you, you didn't have to spend lots of money, but you did have like very good opportunities so in in montreal that camera basically um accompanied me through the whole year and we had like stuff from from the class which we had to do where we had to learn about white balance and um, how to use um, a tripod and how to edit a film and, and all that basic stuff which was great but uh, like I said, I'm I'm more like an intuitive person. So I always took the camera out and just did what felt right. And that was really inspiring for me. And it, it just felt it, it really called me in a way, and, and somehow I can't really describe it. But from from then on I knew okay, this this is so much fun. This feels so right. I, I kind of have to um continue doing that. And Back then, I didn't know that I wanted to do it as a career, but that's what I ended up doing now, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious um, to know, because you're a filmmaker, do you feel like you have a distinct style? So if I think of um, like a Wes Anderson versus a Jim Jarmusch versus a David Cronenberg, they all have this style that you know, once you watch it, you're like, oh yeah, I'm watching a film by so-and-so. Do you feel like you've developed something like that?
1: Mm, it's. I feel like I. I'm coming from the documentary filmmaking world. That's how I started. I mean, when you have so little equipment, that that's the only thing which which you can do. You 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 just film what's there. So that's kind of the documentary approach. And then I went more and more into commercial work and now into fiction and scripted world and what i really love and i think that's maybe something which is always in my in my work or is kind of my signature i'm trying to combine those two worlds i'm trying to combine the documentary world with with the scripted world so i'm trying to have a the quality of the scripted world but the authenticity of the documentary world and finding the the sweet spots between those two it's it's a big challenge but it's it's also so much fun because you basically challenge the all the techniques and all the rules out there and in my opinion that's what people are craving for because they they obviously want a high quality, but they also want to have something which feels real, right? Which mm. feels like it's out of the real life. And yeah, and those, those two worlds, combining those two worlds, I think that's something I'm super interested in and which kind of is the red thread through, through all my work that you can tell they're, they're always, um, in, they're all, the work is always influenced by those two mm. worlds.
0: Mm. Yeah, you've had such an intuitive uh, career in, in film. I mean, you've been freelancing for most of it. So when you got back from, from Canada, you were freelancing for a local radio station. And then you moved into the nightlife scene and parties and festivals. And then you ended up doing an internship in Hamburg at a commercial film company. So yeah, you've, you've sort of just flowed from, from one to the other. And, um, yeah, I'd love to know more about like this kind of path that you've, you've taken and what you've learned along the way about the industry, things that you like and things that, you know, if you had a magic wand that you would like to change or evolve.
1: Yeah. Right. I I feel like if I could do it all over again, I would not go into the commercial industry. Um, that's something i learned during the internship when i was 19. so after i finished school in in germany i went to hamburg like you said and i did this six months internship at a big commercial production company and it was the first kind of connection i had with that industry before that like all the jobs i did i was this one man show i had my own camera i did my own edits like you said, I, I did some jobs for the nightlife scene and for for a radio stations, like all small small jobs. And obviously, I was very curious about about how the the companies like Google and Mercedes are producing their work. So that's why I kind of wanted to move or wanted to get more experience in that field. But when I was in Hamburg, it was really really interesting from the from the technical part, um, I got to be on really big sets for big companies and I got to see like all the tools they used and I got to see how, how big the crew were was and um, how professional everything was. So that was really, really interesting. But I think the downside for me was the, the, how do I call it? The, the human, the human side of, of things and that this humanity was really missing and that in in a lot of situations i felt very very sad and very much that this is not a life i want to i want to be living so i'm i'm talking about people are working so much and and late during the day and on weekends and they put everything in it just for for that job or for that career and at some point they're in in this bubble they've lost connection or track to to the real world or to the world which is around them they've only have friends in the industry they only spend time with people from the industry so at some point i i had the feeling that all of them were, were quite sad and it was quite frustrating and depressing that they were working so much and they didn't seem happy and still they, they wanted to continue and their goal was then or they, they kind of um, were proud to say that they just did this big commercial for that company and so, so that was basically their value telling other people that they just did an ad for a big car company um, and other people from the industry they would care but this bubble is is so so tiny right if you if you move on five years, nobody cares nobody gives a shit if you mm. if you've produced a, a car commercial or not uh, so I think life is is much bigger than that so so that was kind of the um the negative experience i got from that internship that in this industry um, you can very easily lose track of reality and you can very easily fall into that gap that that's the only reality and that's that's the world out there and i remember i, I called my dad several of times doing during that internship and i told him i really never want to end up like like those people in my life because I felt like this is this is not what what I'm looking for in my life and um, I keep remembering those calls to my dad and I keep remembering those those nights where I came home after a shoot and I was just laying in my bed I was like oh wow that's that's not what I where I want to go and weirdly enough now nine years later I'm I'm a commercial film director, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm working in that field. So that's that's very um, that's also something I, I don't understand, but um, I I see it in a different way. I see it as a as a chance. The this internship which I did in the very very beginning of my career, it teached me to it taught me to not lose my values and to to not lose tr- track connection to reality so in a way it was a, a very good and a very early reminder if i would go into that industry i have to be careful and I have to take care of myself and i i need friends people outside of the industry i need to spend time outside of the industry and um, so i kind of had already this this uh, rule book for myself Okay if I'm going in this industry I have to do it that way. So so that's kind of the way how I see it right now. It was a it was a chance in in that sense to to go into the industry but to try to stay or keep a healthy balance.
0: Yeah, yeah, and listening to you it it seems like that experience sort of caused you to find your own moral compass within the industry and sort of yeah. an anchor from which you can operate from very comfortably and and as who you are.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think there's moral compass in the uh, compass in this in this industry is it's it's every time it's it's a it's a struggle but um I do have a moral compass and I think that's the that's the important thing for me. Yeah. Some people I think won't even have one because they've just lost it Mm -hmm. along the way
0: and hopefully they can get it back somehow (laughs) along the way
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah um so i want to go back to um some of the things that that you did you ended up going um to to school and studying media and, and economics but ended up wanting to push your freelance more and this freelancing led you to Uh, do some travel work for a number of years Um, and that time in your life you went to several different countries and I'd love to know in those years in which you were traveling and and filming um, with your friends who are your team quote unquote your team uh, what did you learn about yourself in that time like how did travel make
1: you grow? Well I think back in back in that time when when I was studying in institute media and economics I was 20 and studied for three years. So from 20 to 23 or 24, I was in Stuttgart studying. But like you said, I had this I'm, I am had this huge opportunity to to travel around the world making films for a travel agency. Um, and they kind of gave me the opportunity to put my team together, always four people, and then they would send me or send us around the world and for each destination we we produced a little destination film and obviously uh, those those people i choose were my friends so i think that was that was something i i learned very early that traveling is so amazing but it doesn't matter how beautiful the destination is or how nice the beach is or how great the view is it's always about the people you're with and that could be that you meet very interesting people locally but that could also mean that that you have friends traveling with you who make the time so amazing and the experience so much deeper Uh, so my i think during that time my my learning and my experience was that it's always about people Mm. it's not so much about the destination and that's something you learn a- along the way, and especially when when we've met. The, the most amazing experience where when when we have met like really cool people locally who didn't treat us as tourists but as friends. And I had the most amazing conversations with with my crew or my my friends during during those days because you just gained so much perspective being outside of your everyday life. And yeah, but I think to answer your question, the, the, the thing was that it's always about people,
0: mm. not so
1: much about the destination.
0: Mm. Well, I'd love to explore your creative process and I'd love to explain it, to explore it in, in two different ways. Um, and I guess my question is, is your process for doing commercial work Is it different than from when you're doing fiction, um, like narrative film?
1: So for commercial work, there's always normally a brief from the client or from the agency. And for my scripted work or for my passion projects or for my short films, there's not really a a certain briefing or a certain direction. So all the stories, all the feelings which I want to tell, they, they kind of come out of me <laughs> or to me through, um, for example, the, the short film I did in Paris, uh, it's inspired by a true story. And I, I was reading an article about, about the code word, which they used during the lockdown and COVID in Paris to help victims of, um, what's the word?
0: Domestic violence
1: domestic abuse yeah, yeah. so victims uh, was a code word to help victims of domestic abuse um, getting help during, during lockdown and I, I was reading that article and basically then I knew okay that's that's so interesting there's so much tension in that moment when 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 they use that code word and, and basically in the next day I was writing the script so it's it's very different in a way and sometimes when When you don't get a brief, it can be very overwhelming because you're 100% free, which also means you can go everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can try everything, you can create everything. And sometimes I'm sitting in front of this white page with that in my mind, okay, now I could do basically everything. And then I don't get any words on the page because it's just too many possibilities. So sometimes I really like getting a brief and being restricted. Um, But to answer your question, I think that's the biggest difference between commercial work and scripted work. That Commercial work is always with a brief, which is fun sometimes as well. And scripted work is more free in terms of where the creativity or the story comes from.
0: Mm. I'm curious to know when you're in a place or when you look at an object or you meet a person, does a story about it start to form in your mind?
1: Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So sometimes I'm I'm really in that mood where I see something or I hear something and I I start creating that that world in my head. I have this I have this weird thing when I'm at at on airports or in airplanes, I, I put on my noise cancellation headphones and I just walk through the airport and I observe like there are so many different actions and scenes happening and then I change the soundtrack. So if I see for example a couple I put on a romantic song and then I kind of Mm. walk a little bit slower to observe them and then you switch the song and the whole thing changes, the whole story and the whole world changes. So sometimes I do play around especially with music because music is like 50% of, of a film um but sometimes i'm also just just there as a human being and 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 not as a filmmaker
0: <laughs> right right yeah yeah you just you just have to to simply be as well sometimes and and not have to to create narratives
1: yeah for sure
0: for anyone who wants to pick up a camera and begin to do visual storytelling what would you tell them about being a film director do you have any wise words for them
1: I think what always helped me was to know that it's never about the equipment or the resources story is the strongest in filmmaking and story you can tell stories with your phone you can tell stories with like the simplest thing which which you normally have right every phone Every smartphone has a camera. So so that's something which helps me, which helped me back in the days a lot, because you just you need to prove yourself in in that industry. Nobody will believe you that when you say I'm a cameraman or I'm a director or I'm a filmmaker, but you haven't done anything, nobody nobody will believe you, or nobody will hire you or trust you with their work. So you always have to prove yourself. And I think there's this Big misception of, yeah, but if I do something, I need this very expensive camera, and then I need a guy who's doing the lighting, and and need a very good actor and actress. But sometimes you just need your phone, and I think every everyone in this industry has a has an eye for that, and can tell if something um, is made with a story in mind and is made. With talent, um, and that's something which really helped me in the beginning and is still helping me now. That, for example, now I'm trying to move more into the scripted world, which is a completely different industry to the commercial world. And you, I thought, okay, I I, pro- I proved myself in the commercial world. Now it should be a little bit easier for me to move into the scripted world. But basically, for me, I have to start all over again. I have. I have to prove myself that I can tell longer stories, longer. I can create longer films, and that, um, that's why I started all those short films two years ago. Um, and it really helped me to just to just realize, okay, it's not about having a lots of money and having the best contacts to the most talented people. It's just about the most important thing is the story, and if you have a good story. Yeah, you can film it with your phone, mm. and it will work. Mm. And that's super. I think that's that makes it a little bit lighter and um, makes it more accessible for for everyone in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, congratulations. I know that Mask Nineteen, which was your the film that you. You created in, in paris was shortlisted at the Cannes film festival and also at the sedona film festival so that's yeah. pretty that's pretty huge that must feel good
1: yeah and no, it was really nice to get some attention for that film and about that whole topic which is which is so important so yeah it was really really nice
0: And you also have some other things on the go. You were talking about music and how music is 50% of a a film, but you're actually in a music group called Touring with two of your friends. So you're the filmmaker and they're the producer slash musicians. And I know that you're really passionate about this project.
1: Yes, I am. Now, Touring is is my new hobby in a way. So filmmaking was my hobby. Now it became a job and, and Touring creating music together with with those two guys is had become my new hobby which which feels so nice <laughs> <laughs> finally having something again where you can spend night after night after night not getting tired um having no pressure from the outside because nobody expects anything from us right nobody knows that we are doing music or we don't have some some bar to hit because the, the the first album was a big success and now we have to um do an even bigger one so so this starting off with something new where there is no pressure on it financially or creatively just feels like a really nice thing to do and feels like something I've been missing in the last year for sure and touring turing is it's it's a fusion between electronic music and storytelling that's why we are three people with two music producers and me a film director who's who's not playing any instruments so so my role is basically making sure that we include storytelling into our music and the way how we do it is that we we describe ourselves more like a audio video art installation kind of project Um, so this summer we we probably gonna have our first um, release concert in in a very big museum in, in munich in germany and i always felt so inspired by if you combine music with visuals with story so if you put all the elements together it can have such a strong impact on on the listener and on the audience so so that's something we we're aiming for and it's definitely an experiment because it's it's not that there are tons of those combinations out there but yeah it's it's super fun and uh, it includes all all the things i've done in the last years all the stuff i've learned but you need to abstract it in a way uh, so storytelling, I can't. I don't have actors or actresses, right? So you you need to work with the audience in a way. So we're going to have a very interactive installation um, where the live show and the the visuals basically interact with with the audience. And I don't want to say too much because it's still work in progress. But mm-hmm. I think you you get the gist. It's 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 so nice to to get your head around how could you. Tell a story with that kind of media and with that kind of setting and yeah so touring is definitely a a new chapter for me and um gives me a lot of energy also for for yeah for my everyday life and to to have something which it's worth spending night shifts with
0: Mm, (laughs) right that's how you know it's a love for something is when you're spending the night shifts (laughs) working on it
1: yeah for sure
0: yeah and um are you starting to learn how to create music now that you're in this trio um have you started to pick up how to yeah make scores and
1: soundscapes i did play the drums when i was a kid so i have this kind of rhythm rhythmic feeling but to be honest i'm I'm interested in in analog instruments where I don't need to get to know a whole software. But I I don't have the aim, to be honest, to to become a pro in producing in the software because that's that's just too late for me. I guess there are like others who've done that since they were a child, like my um, two colleagues. And my expertise lies somewhere else. I, so I'm trying to focus on what I can bring into the project and not so much on what I cannot do. And yeah, mm. that's everyone brings something to the table and music production side is, is on them. And uh, the concept storytelling side is a bit more on me.
0: Mm-hmm, right, right. And that's a perfect segue into a question that um, sort of had popped into my mind about 30 minutes ago. Um, when you look at, and this is taking it back into, to film, you know, creating a film is an ecosystem and, you know, I often at the end of a film, I will sit and I will watch the credits, um, all the way to the end. And it always, it always just, I'm always in awe of how many people it takes to make a film. And the reason why I watch the credits is to pay respect to everyone who was, was a part of it. And, um, and, and there's so many titles that I didn't know existed, um, when it comes to to filmmaking. And I wonder in your opinion, what is the job? What is the role? What is the magic that the filmmaker brings to the ecosystem? Of many others
1: what, what do you mean with the ecosystem
0: yeah just just talking about the world of of a film like the ecosystem is just um just the film itself yeah like the world of that particular film and all of the people who work on it and whom who um yeah make up all the components of creating that film so yeah in your opinion what is that magic what is that flow that the filmmaker brings to everything else
1: yeah, I think the, the most important thing is that you have a flow inside the crew and that you understand each other and that you feel each other. And that's the reason why, if you look at all the really, really big names, the big film directors, they always work with the same people. They always work with the same crew because they they know what the other people what the other person wants without needing to tell them right they know the chemistry works so i think in the first years for me during filmmaking or making films it was about finding those people where the chemistry was right and sometimes sometimes you have people where where you click right away and that's super fun and sometimes you have people where there is a lot of tension and then next project you maybe try someone else. But to answer your question, I think the most important thing on set for me is that there is this, that there is the flow, that there is a very comfortable atmosphere. Everyone feels safe. Everyone feels understood. And film is a lot about hierarchy. That's just how it had been the last years and how it still is. And it has a sense in a way because you're so on the clock that it wouldn't make any sense to have like 10 people deciding what to do. You need one guy or one woman and then it, it just goes quicker. So there is there is a sense behind it, but the hierarchy is always a struggle for me because sometimes people feel that they are not treated fairly or um, people feel that they are not heard. So I think for me, the challenge on set is to make sure that we we are in the schedule but still that everyone feels kind of heard and and nobody feels left out and everyone feels like that we're creating this thing together right now that's exactly what you said if you look at the credits of a film i couldn't do it without the person doing the catering i couldn't do it without the guy driving our actors so it's. I think it's about being thankful and um, having respect for for each role on on set, no matter how big or low the role is, because it's it's an ecosystem. With if if one one person is missing, the whole thing falls apart. Um, so I'm always trying to remember that, and that's in my opinion the kind of young generation of filmmakers who 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 do remember that and who, who try to have a different tone on set because if you go way back the the old school guys they're um they're those guys who who's who are screaming on set and who have a huge ego and um where runners or drivers were not allowed to talk to to, to the director and stuff like that which is completely stupid so finding finding a, a way to To keep the hierarchy because the hierarchy has some kind of sense in um, keeping the timing and making it cost efficient, but also being human on set and um, accepting everyone for who he is or who she is and um, what they they bring to the table. I think that's for me a very important thing and something I I keep learning on each set. yeah, but I feel like it's it's become a it's become a generation kind of thing that all the younger crew they for them that's really important and I think that's it's a very good thing.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful to bring that human aspect back back to set. Well, I just have a few more questions because I know it's getting later over there in, in Germany. Um, my my first question is, uh, what's exciting you about the film industry right now? Is there anything that's happening, emerging? Um, yeah, that's making you feel like your heart uh, beats a little bit faster.
1: Lately, I've. Lately, I was thinking more about where I was coming from in terms of my career. So I started off with that small crew work, right, where we had just been three people traveling to Senegal and filming a story about a wrestler for two weeks. Um, it's also a short film I did called Keru, So, so that was basically the very beginning, and and then I kind of moved more into the bigger commercial sets, having eighty people uh, on set somewhere in Cape Town. So it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And what excites me now is getting back to the to the beginning in a way, and to trying to reduce myself, um, trying to find stories which don't need 80 people to be told but which just need a cameraman and myself and maybe a sound guy and then let's go and just trying to to see what we get out of it without any expectations without any pre-written concept just being open for human stories. Right. So, so that's something which really, really excites me lately again. And weirdly, that's how I started off. Um, but I really want to move more or do more of that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm sure that's more my, my passion projects it will be hard to convince a client to do that, but. <laughs> Back to basics <laughs> um, for you. I'm really excited <laughs> to do that. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to do that more for myself to, to, to get more of the, the passion back and to, to, to to see how I started off. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's something which I would love to do more that year.
0: Mm. Question for you and your personal journey, um, you know, in your 28 years on, on earth, um, and all of the, the ways that you've grown, um, what are you most proud of when you think of, your own evolution up until this point
1: oh wow i need a minute for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I got one got one i think the the thing i'm most proud of is that i always trust myself or my my gut feeling and there've been ups and downs definitely there've been times where i i felt very insecure but not only in my career, but also in my in my personal life and in my personal kind of growth. What gives me a lot of strength and what I'm really proud of is that I can always trust my gut feeling and it will always lead me into the right direction. And sometimes I don't have to understand why or... Yeah, th- sometimes I just don't have to understand And knowing that really helps me. And I think that I'm really proud of that because a lot of people struggle with that. They have they have that inner voice, but they put a lot of energy in making sure that they are not acting from that inner voice. And that's something I'm I'm quite proud of. Yeah,
0: Mm, I love that. That's really beautiful. My last question that I ask all my guests With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world?
1: I think with telling stories through my films and with whatever will come up, the most important thing for me is showcasing humanity and making sure that we know that there is a soft core in in everyone, Um, that's quite general but I'm trying to not be too specific because I don't know what I will do in 10-20 years but I I feel like that's very important to me since the whole society moves more into uh, digital stuff and um, robotics and whatever and i just feel like it's so important to remember that we're all humans everyone has a soft core and with the films i do and also with touring the the music project i do that's kind of always the number one message i want to get out that yeah we shouldn't forget our humanity Mm.
0: Marco, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful hearts and all of your thoughts. It was so wonderful to have you on the show. And I guess I need to get myself out to Munich to support your, your touring show.
1: Yes, it would be amazing. <laughs> um, Try to make it happen. It would be super cool.
0: <laughs> if people want to connect with you yeah. or with touring, where can they find or
1: follow you? So I'm or my work is on on Instagram. Um, it's Marco Roth. And Turing is also on Instagram. We're also on TikTok, <laughs> which is quite new for me. so <laughs> um, but we are we are there. so for for the younger generations, um, you can find us on TikTok and we're called toing dot uh, which is like double wA Uh, like the the ending of the sound file it's a little little joke (laughs) um yeah that's our two it's the two handles it's marco ralph and turing.wav
0: amazing well thank you so so much and i can't wait to catch up again soon
1: yeah thank you so much for having me
0: as always thank you for being here and for listening to learn more about today's guest Visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for this show are by Andrew and J. Begaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.